0: Smith and this is more than one lesson episode 140 uh so a couple of things number one uh I have three co-hosts and none of them could make it through illness through uh, work stuff uh it just didn't happen this week which is crazy um I expanded from one to three to avoid this and then uh, they all just (laughs) let me down because that's what they do um But uh, so yeah, so we've got somebody else here, uh, but we'll introduce him in a moment. Okay, okay. Uh, In the meantime, uh, look, you may have noticed. Hey, a new, a new more than one lesson has dropped. That's exciting. I wonder what day it is. Now that's a weird progression of thought. But if you did happen to think that, then you would recognize that this is now October first, and that means that we are into Halloween times. So for the net, the next five episodes, including this one, will be about horror films and uh, the macabre and stuff like that. And in case anybody was wondering why we do that, it's been a lot, It's basically this is the third year of us doing this uh, this way. Um, I think a lot. A lot of it boils down to trying to subvert certain uh, ideas that the Christian community has about art in general. And one genre that is regularly demonized quite often, quite literally demonized (laughs) um, by the Christian community is horror. Uh, There are a number of people who say, and I grew up uh, with people saying like, there's no good in horror. It just makes me feel bad. It's just all of these things. Um, And, while there is a lot of horror that is a little bit nihilistic and doesn't, and exploitative and all of these things, I do think that fear is an extreme emotion and horror tends to truck in extreme imagery and anytime you're dealing with extremes there's actually quite uh, an opportunity for subtlety which people wouldn't necessarily assume but it's kind of been a given ever since uh, the early days of horror and it's a thing that people often talk about with like uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that but um, so that is why we do this and so uh, we get to talk about movies that Christians tend not to talk about and tend not to see, and uh, we want to explore the idea that these are films that, um, that have a lot more going for them than one would immediately think. So, uh, before we do that, and uh, not really anticipating that I was going to give that intro, that he then had to stay silent for, and even, <laughs> in the, even though I'm sure he had an opinion, uh, I will now welcome in our guest who hasn't been here for. Like it's two or three years. years. It's yeah. been crazy. Uh, but he filled in at the last minute, and I'm very happy that he did. It's uh, it's Jeff Newberg. Jeff, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. All right. I'm surviving. My back is in horrible shape. Yeah. Other than that, I'm very happy. Why is your back so bad? What's going on here? The listeners uh, want to know. A combination of sitting in a chair working, Okay. plus tons of manual labor as I'm a homeowner. Fair enough. Which, in my experience, that's what that means, is a lot of sweating in the heat. Yeah. Uh, I think those two things, like uh, pain through lack of movement, movement sitting in a chair, and then pain through through way too much work. And you now have two children yeah. and you got to like carry them and
0: you know hold them and stuff, that, right? Dude, that, I'm sure that, that's deep killer on That bend
1: the back. down into the into the crib yeah. to lift the 2-year-old up out of the crib, that's that's the one that gets you. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: listeners, I offered to give Jeff like a really good deep tissue massage, but he said, no, let's just get to the episode. But now you're it's regretting really it, a time thing. It's okay. really a time thing. It's not like, it's not like I'm uncomfortable with your touch. I, I can get in and out in like 15 minutes. All right. Ugh, so, bad turn of phrase <laughs> yeah, there. Christian program. <laughs> um, so, uh, so before we jump into the, into the, the, the topic proper, um, I did want to get uh, some of your your take on what I was just saying because you did seem to have a couple reactions to it. Um, are you are you Master a horror observer fan? of human behavior? I feel like you're now making fun of me. Which no, I don't no, care I, for. I'm
1: actually pretty impressed. Uh, okay. Yeah, I am a huge fan of horror, which I didn't realize actually. I, uh, I'm most of my professional experience has been as an actor, and then lately there's been I, I was a writer before I was an actor. Um, lately there's been just a lot more writing in my life. Um, and, uh, a script I wrote a few years ago that got me some of the first good attention for my writing had a, had a horror element in it. And, uh, and I, I at that point I sort of realized just how much horror I've actually watched, how much I enjoy good horror. And then right now, uh, my, my, the script that is sort of nearest completion and nearest shooting is a is a straight out horror film. And I think the thing I'd add to what you were saying about why it's important for us to watch horror, I think one thing it almost always, I'd say ninety percent of horror films acknowledge a moral universe. That that is true.
0: And I think we'll definitely be getting into that in and this that goes that
1: goes unacknowledged in I think the majority of secular film that's not horror. It's, there's a, there's more of an amorality underpinning it just that the questions of morality are not engaged. Whereas in horror, even if, even if it's not a Christian ethos, morality is engaged as a reality. And it's interesting because in the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world
0: of like film criticism, and I would say maybe even specifically online film criticism where, uh, where people tend to be a little bit younger, there is, um, and a lot of us were raised with scream, Mm. (laughs) which deconstructed certain aspects of horror, certain tropes, but also certain, like the morality of horror. Like if you like the Virgin doesn't die, Mm. uh, if you're, if you drink or do drugs, you're going to die, you know, stuff like that. And so I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of, uh, critics or at least a lot of the ones that I know wind up getting frustrated it's so interesting. It's the opposite of the Christian thing. A lot of Christians look at horror and say, mm. look how amoral this is. Meanwhile, a lot of like film people look at horror and say, look how moralistic it is. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, you're right. Like and it definitely it acknowledges- goes
1: over. I mean, even in one of the films oh, sure. we're talking about today, like it's sort of the ultimate slut shaming possible. Yeah. Like it. it can, it can definitely. And, but I think that's part of. It, it sort of scratches this human itch to be told that there there are grave consequences consequences
0: is a word that will be said a lot in this episode yes <laughs> um, yeah and it's and what I think is interesting is um, is with the episode with, with the the movie that we're going to be talking about primarily today which is uh, it follows uh, and I and this can be said of I think a lot of horror. Oh, by films. the way,
1: I was up way too early this morning and I watched The Ring too. So if you want to dig in, just you watch The Ring to two, the, the, sequel, the ring that's as well, not the companion
0: film, Jeff. The Ring as well. Okay, Um, that's exciting because I haven't seen it in, in a very long time. Um, So, uh, but yeah, one thing that I think is interesting about horror is that even though its morality seems to be fairly black and white, or at the very least, like obvious in mm. some ways. um, People still, because horror is what it is and it trucks in such sometimes outlandish imagery and, and outlandish storytelling, uh, I think people, I think it winds up being kind of vague. I can't tell you how many people I know, uh, how many how many uh, film critics I know that view it follows as like sex positive, hmm. which I can see when they explain it, I can see where they're coming from. And then I, and then undoubtedly... Probably coming from my perspective, I say, like, yeah, I guess so, but have you also not considered that it could also be about sex addiction? And certainly STDs, that thing is thrown around uh, yeah. uh, quite a bit. Um, but also, it could like, you also recognize, like, it's all about people using sex for their own ends. Like, how could that be seen to be positive? Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that in a moment. But it's just the fact that, that people can look at this strange film and get not merely different interpretations, but polar opposite uh, interpretations is fascinating to me. And I think that's one of the, artistically, I think that's one of the interesting things about horror.
1: Yeah. Yeah. but And I, I mean, I think it's also why you have so many Christians attracted to the genre. Um, you know, some of the most powerful Christians in Hollywood, Hollywood, mm-hmm. as opposed to Christian Hollywood. Right. Uh, I, we had an interesting conversation. that listeners weren't privy to about that sort of polarization. Listeners been, have been pr- privy to too many. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> um, but a, a lot of the most powerful people in Hollywood who are people of faith. I mean, as far as the ones I know of, hmm it's upwards of half of them just do genre just yeah. do horror the horror genre most of the time because they have experience with things like iconography the power of iconography like a movie like sinister i think the best mm-hmm. horror film of this century that i've seen i mean i haven't seen everything wow day. i guess i, I guess i got to see it i didn't see it and i would straight up use the word iconography in that movie is so powerful and chilling the images in that movie and i and i found someone told me this is totally not gospel. Someone told it to me, uh, that that dude's a Christian, which is shocking because of how dark that movie is. But people said the same in my work. So,
0: well, and, and, uh, so I was at Alpha MegaCon. uh, this, uh, could you
1: translate that out of geek? Like what? Oh, is that, is that a conference for that is,
0: Bibles that, or that is a Christian, uh, comic convention. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's only their second year. I love it. I love being a part of it. Um, but, uh, and at the panel, uh, we had a number of people, including friend of the show, Bill Oberst, Jr., who is an actor who works primarily in low budget horror. Now, the reason I specify low budget is because when you are low budget, you tend to everything gets more extreme. You would think it goes less extreme, but it's like, look, we don't, we can't afford much, but yeah. we can afford a lot of this uh, corn. Cow syrup. hearts,
1: yeah, exactly. We got all the beef hearts you can shake a stick at. Not since Captain Beefheart has, has there been so many. <laughs> oh beef my hearts? word! You know Captain Beefheart? Of course I do. Two Christians in a room who've listened to Captain Beefheart and perhaps seen his paintings. Uh, I've seen a couple. Yes. Wow. Um, that's, uh, yeah. We that's that's yeah. a low percentage shot. Yeah, that guy's uh... brilliant. I I like weird music. I was going to
0: say insane, but I guess they're often similar. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) trap Uh, mask replica, go, go out and pick it up. Don't let your parents hear it. And yeah, enjoy yourself. Well, enjoy might not be the word. Um, but, uh, so (laughs) It's just, it's it's an experience, but I I enjoy it. But it might not be. Don't ex, don't go into it expecting that enjoyment will be your primary reaction.
1: Yeah, right. Like a lot of art, it's it's not there to make you happy or or to make you laugh. It's in a lot of ways there to challenge you. Yeah. But I don't know. There's a couple of tunes on that they're that fun.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um. So, uh, boy, did I not expect to be going down that road today. Um. So, what was? I? Oh yeah, Bill overs. So so Bill it often plays. Villains and Mm. demons and monsters and that sort of thing. That is what his career is. And he's done it a lot. And he is, and listeners know from this show when he was on, I think two years ago, I don't remember exactly. um, People remember like, he is this like Southern, like Bible quoting guy and he doesn't see really a problem with this because the way he sees it, he is depicting evil and he, and what he said in the panel is like, he is going to depict evil in the most committed way possible because he doesn't like the idea of making it look glamorous he's going to play it with cold hard reality and that means committing to as dark as it can get and to him that's the role that horror plays is it uh, people might they might go into it looking to be like you know titillated in some way and they might still get that but his role is to I believe he said, like, just lay the devil bare so that people know exactly what they're dealing with. And and that's as an actor. And I, don't, I find it so fascinating. And when in, in the Christian world, when you look at somebody like uh, like a Frank Peretti, hmm. you know, have you ever read anything by Frank Peretti? I'm sorry to say I have. I, I have read one thing, yeah. which I thought wasn't I? actually bad. Wait, the um, plot moves. Sure. Oh yeah. It's He's page, great. with a page turner. <laughs> yeah, very much so. As are those left behind books. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're not bothering with character. So, um, that's me I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, I know people that, I know a lot of people that think Frank Pratt, uh, Frank Preddy is, is at the very least much better than the left behind series, which ah. is probably true. But at the very least, I feel like his, what I read, it certainly deals in horror and he I think he understands the, the, the power of this imagery. Um, and I feel
1: like, I don't know. I, I feel like Christian should, abra- should embrace it more. Well, there's, I mean, I think it's the example of Bill Oberst. I think it, it's an interesting, I think things get really complicated when you talk about acting. Sure. Um, and I think that there's, you know, we're sort of the power of the image on screen is so powerful and the, you know, star power is sort of based on this phenomenon of people see a face over and over again. And it it basically becomes magical. You know, we think of these people, you know, it's the closest thing we have to royalty. Like we, Mm -hmm. we hold them in such high regard basically because of a technology. Yeah. There's, there's, if we met these people in real life, they would have charisma, they would be interesting, but we hold them in high regard because they've been in our living rooms in, in you know crazy situations and doing their own stunts or for whatever, or not, or not. For whatever reason, we, we sort of see it that way. And, and so I think as an audience, you see it's natural to see the work of an actor who plays a villain. Uh, I've generally played villains. I've, I've generally mm-hmm. played horrible people. That's right, I remember um, your criminal mind. Yeah, he was not a good guy.
0: Um, but he's sympathetic a little bit.
1: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. You you can't, I think it's a, it's sort of a oft quoted truism that you can't, you can't act a character through a lens that includes any judgment. You right. need, you need to find, you need to find that human part. And as a process, I find that to be a very Christian process mm-hmm. to understand, to sort of trace, you know, the, the existential Christianity, which certainly, did not end up being a mainline strand of thought within Christian theology, but started out, I think, okay with a lot of Kierkegaard's work. And even prior to that, uh, the idea that as a human, as a fallen human, I, Jeff Newberger, Bill Oberst are, are capable of the evils, any one of these characters committed. And, And what are the human things that brought them to this place? And what is the, what is the part, the image of God that is still in them, even in this dark place. And I think as an actor, it's a beautiful experience Mm -hmm. and it's very hard. Uh, but I I think it's really complicated for an audience, especially a Christian audience, because you sort of assume, I think most film watchers like assume a sex scene. So you had, you guys had sex or like, or, or, you know, or at the very least, everything, everything must've been out. Right. (laughs) Well, things seem, yeah, things seem so much more real. And and then, I, I, then I've got to do double talk because I played three murderers in a row in a span of a few weeks once. And I came home and I was a little wrecked. Mm-hmm. People have always ask, is it fun? And the answer is no, it's not fun. I think I find it rewarding, so I keep doing it. Sure. But I came home and I was sort of like done with murderers for a while. Uh, I actually got my wish and just didn't work for a while after that. Yeah. Uh, so that was a that was a fun irony to live with. But I, I came home and you know I I'd, I'd, I'd stabbed I'd shot I'd strangled I'd I'd done everything in with these three characters for a few weeks, and the last one there's a lot of strangling, and I came home to my wife and I said, you know something, honey, there's no way to fake strangle somebody. Yeah. You have to put your hands around another human being's throat and squeeze. Well, yeah. not as hard. But, yeah. And scale it back like, like 15%. So there's just like, there's double talk. Like, yes, you, it, I think the only way to get to that sort of spot where you can see what redeems a character is to, to go through the darkest stuff too. So I, 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 lo- I no longer have a compelling point is really
0: my point. <laughs> well, it is. It's so interesting. Um, and, and knowing what I do about Bill, I know that his, his thing is that, uh, is when I say like deglamorize. If he's playing a character that view themselves as glamorous, then he'll play that. Mm. Um, it's just as an actor, he feels his job is not necessarily to judge this person, nor is it to overly uh, mm. heighten this person to the point where people are like, man, this is awesome. You know, <laughs> so it's it's arguable whether he has fun, like you said, whether he enjoys playing these characters or not. But um, but yeah, and it's why for me. The best movie villain of all time is always going to be Noah Cross from Chinatown Hmm. because he has this wonderful little bit of truth that the character uses as justification, but everybody else should view as cautionary, which he says, most people never have to face the fact that in the right circumstances, they're capable of anything. Now, if you've seen Chinatown, you know what this character is capable of (laughs) and what he's referring to. And it is one of the most despicable acts you've ever heard of. But he uses it as like, not a justification, not as a motivation, but it's just like a, hey, almost as though like, wh- well, you can't judge me. You could do the same thing. And it's like, yeah, I could. But uh, is that why you're doing this? Like, it's- <laughs> You're trying, you're teaching us all a lesson. That's yeah. why you did this? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it- it's it. There's a- that's I-, I feel like horror allows people to deal with some very, very dark- truths ones that maybe we're not comfortable with but you're able to do it in a way that at the very least is stylistic and extreme which might which might ease the ability to to deal with that
1: well and when you use the word stylistic i think it it and maybe this is just sort of an aesthetic concern from my art school background but mm-hmm. it raises alarm bells of that that glamorizing question of for me the i guess the most direct the tarantinoizing of violence sure uh, which is you know how how beautiful can you make despicable acts and I think it's such a tricky and fine line to negotiate uh, that you're trying you, you want your work your cinema to be beautiful but you're dealing with the and I, I think that that's like a a a spot that gives me a lot of trouble. Even with one of the films we're talking about today, like The the Ring, this, I mean, it's a Gore Verbinski movie. Yeah, It's so polished and it just feels weird. And I wouldn't say in a Tarantino sort of way, but just like it doesn't fit. Like this is a dark story and it's just so weird how shiny most of the things are. Yeah. Other than the tape. It's yeah.
0: It's almost as though, uh, like when they remade Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. and it it felt—I wouldn't say it felt overly polished, but compared to the original, it certainly felt maybe overproduced, is the word. And you just think, like, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Why is this not the grittiest
1: thing ever? You know, the original got it right. But that's funny because I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw until I was. It's probably like seven. It, was just, it was probably like twenty-seven. Okay. And it shocked me how beautiful it was. The original? The cinematography of oh, the yeah. film yeah. is so good, even though, yeah, it was like a you know $20,000 Toby... <laughs> what's his last Hooper? name? To- Toby Hooper joint. Uh, he calls his films I joints, believe right? so, yes. Yeah. Everybody does that now, right?
0: Yeah, I think so, except for Tarantino. <laughs> He's the purest. Even Terrence Malick is into it. <laughs> <laughs> a Terrence Malick joint to the wonder yeah oh, oh
1: gosh um, i finally watched that the other night
0: wow well, that's a conversation for another day oh but um yeah and so like even in the midst of grit and uncompromising uh ugliness you can still find beauty you can yeah. still it's it's without compromising yeah it's it's fascinating but we do need to get a, get to the uh the actual oh uh, yeah movie um it occurs to me that like oh man i could have had you on and we didn't even need to pick a specific topic we could have just talked about. We could have just talk about
1: Riddler action figures. Okay. I'm sorry. I just I just looked radio outed you. Sorry. Listeners I, I just, know I they know about
0: my thing. love of the Riddler. It's
1: awesome. I I want to say I I make fun of it because I'm there's actually a part of me that is envious that wishes I had the one the one figure that I needed to collect. I you, think I did at one point. I cared wh- about Batman a lot. Well,
0: here's here's where it comes from. Um You'll notice in my office there's there are two things that there are a lot of Riddlers and movies. Mm. Now, one of them came first, which is movies. And you'll notice that collection is bigger. And the reason that I collect Riddlers is because that movie collection was getting a little too big. And it got to a point that, uh, my wife was asking like for Christmas and birthdays and stuff and anniversaries. <laughs> like, do you want anything besides movies? Oh. So I realized like, I don't really collect anything. I don't have any hobbies. So I decided to cultivate one Mm. and I was like, well, what do I, and this was years ago. And I just thought like, well, what do I do? It's like, I mean, people collect toys, but it's like, that's huge. Like there's a lot of toys in the world. So it's like, all right, let's get specific. Batman, still a lot of toys. All right. Just Batman villains still a whole lot. All right. I'm going to have to pick one. And I was between Joker and Riddler. And then I realized that ever since I was a kid, I always liked the Riddler more. Um, And so I decided to go with that. And I thought like, that's probably pretty manageable. And, uh, that's arguable now like uh, yeah
1: it's no it's still it's still like one quadrant of the room right but no, there's a there's some seepage <laughs> yeah it's about to it's about to
0: move over and there's some in my closet by the way that oh, don't that don't fit no. anywhere because they're like giant in plush. The closet <laughs> so because who doesn't want to sleep with the riddler what the cuddliest of characters Aww. if anybody you sleep with the penguin obviously He's yeah big right. and fluffy yeah anyway um so we uh we need to very much get into the into the topic at this point. Good idea. Um, so there was a movie that I think it was, I think out of Sundance, it was getting a lot of buzz. Um, and it was just one of those movies that you hear a lot about, but you don't feel like it's going to do great, or it's just going to get maybe some kind of VOD release or something like that. Um, and so a friend of mine for, for BP, he was covering Sundance, and he saw this movie called It Follows. And said that it was just such a fat and he explained what the idea was, which was that there's this invisible thing that will take the shape of people and it will just slowly but surely follow you at a pretty decent pace, but not quick. And it will follow you if you have had sex with somebody that it was previously following and it just will follow you. And once it gets to you, it will do horrible things to you. Um, And then once it does horrible things to you and you're now uh, very dead, um, it will then move on. It'll uh, revert back to the person that you had sex with. Yeah. uh, That it was transfer who transferred the thing to you. So um, that sounded amazing to me. Uh, People were talking about how terrifying it was and all that sort of thing so uh, so I went to see it with my wife we, b- we both enjoyed it tremendously I believe right now it is in my top 10 of the year hmm. um, I do think it'll probably get bumped out if I had to guess uh, just because I think there are just you know we're, st- we're still we're only yeah, in September the cream, the
1: cream is yeah. on its way
0: um, but then at the same time like who knows my taste these days who's to say because my number one movie of the year right now is Paddington. Have you seen Paddington? Well, to see
1: movies in the theater, I'd have to leave the house. Right. Okay. But you do have a, uh, a young child. I do. We should, we should rent that soon. I think you would enjoy it way
0: more than, than she would, but, uh, but she might enjoy it. Like there's a, there's a fanciful quality to it. It reminds me, honestly, it reminds me a lot of babe. And I always thought babe was a really great movie. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I don't know what's going on with me anymore. Who knows? Maybe it follows. will go up. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so the movie is written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Um, and yeah, when I saw it, I, I think initial broad reactions, uh, I think what got me was that A, I wasn't remarkably scared, it was more tense. I was just tense. Um, it's not a movie that has a lot of jump scares. No. There are a couple of moments when something happens abruptly and you, but it's rather than, ah, you're just like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, like there's a moment when somebody opens a door and it just comes right in, yeah. uh, comes and right I, to the chase. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I think that's, uh, that's when the film is at its most effective is when it understands uh, when, when the director understands that it. Does not observe social niceties, it will just keep coming until it can't anymore. Yeah, Um, so I think that's and then also, I will talk about like the uh, 80s throwbacks later later on, but oh, the
1: sense,
0: yeah, sense on the score. It's a big thing happening right now, um, between that and the guest and uh other such movies uh the 80 80s throwbacks are kind of big right now at le- but it's it's not really that much of an 80s throwback it's just more like clearly the director has a respect for this and is trying to recreate it in his own way but i'd say just in general um the thing i responded to positively the most um was uh the tone just the general tone um it's just a tone of dread it's a tone of confusion um and uh i don't know uh what what did you think
1: now you saw it last night. I did. I did. Uh, scheduled date night, uh, plug in, plug in horror film. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, I think the, you were touching on something really interesting. Um, the horror film, as the, the film is a throwback that you mentioned. I, I sort of saw it as a sort of a European um, horror film aesthetic in that it definitely prized... Tension Mm -hmm. over jump scares. And I think that's a, that's a huge sort of difference between world horror and American horror. Um, and that it also just so prized quality of filmmaking production design. Um, uh, I, it definitely seems like a film also because of the simplicity and off the wallness of its, uh, premise. It just seems like one of those films. I think it's often the best way to make a film. It's reverse engineered. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a filmmaker. Uh, budgetary constraints are major. What, what do I have at my disposal? Right. Uh, the city of Detroit was obviously his star. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I have the city of Detroit. I have a great, obviously DP cinematographer. Um, I, you know, I know a guy who can really blast on the sense mm-hmm. to do my score. Like what, what, what genre should I be in? Yeah. It's horror. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. Like what, what should be the themes of that horror? Like you're, you're dealing with, you know, that, four line scene where they actually talk about uh, the suburb uh, exurb urban disparity that is yeah. completely throw away uh, and shouldn't be in there in the end. But what that references is just the, the very, the very self-conscious knowledge of this place that, that exists on the border of this, this sort of perceived or actual darkness that is coming in yeah. and I, I loved it. And I was, I same here. I was, I don't think I was ever scared, like scared, scared in the uh, sense. I I mean, I tried to scare my wife a bunch uh, during it and sent texts to my friends to like come by and, and like our couch is right next to an open window uh, and like breathe uh, next to the window. Uh, But they they screwed up. They didn't do it.
0: I didn't know when I asked you to be a part of this episode that I was giving you an opportunity to be a terrible husband, I you know, didn't recognize that. Well, so you're um, welcome. So yeah,
1: and and bonus, bonus for you. I'm sure you enjoy <laughs> it after the fact. Uh, she, 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 she's. I think she's more of a horror fan than I am. Uh, but she was also. I think she was also pleasantly surprised at how much she liked it, while not being scared often. It was. It was much more of a tension, a thriller, like from an American cinema stand standpoint. It was much more of a sort of a. a thriller tone Mm -hmm. than an american horror tone
0: and i feel like that's the stuff that i tend to like the most i mean here's the thing a good jump scare like an earned jump scare is great yeah it can be great but for me it's more just feeling i like
1: it's just tense all the time how much more satisfying is it though in this in this particular movie when spoiler alert uh, I'm just going to say that when I'm yeah, yeah, this, is
0: a, this is going to be spoiler heavy. Everybody. When
1: I'm not even doing it, I'm going to say spoiler alert. Okay. Because uh, I want to kill the phrase. I want it to die. Um, I'm, I'm going to be the one who kills it. Uh, the, how much you're is that You're overestimating the scene, uh, scope of this podcast. <laughs> well, you don't have two million listeners? <laughs> not yet. Um, one day. One day. Uh, I think this might be the one that puts us and over. This is, this is the one for sure. The, the Riddler conversation really hooked him. Uh, the, once that again, I feel like where... you're making fun of me. <laughs> where, uh, the, oh man, what's the character name the dude? She passes it on to in the hospital. What is uh, that character's Greg? Name? I believe his name is Greg. Yeah. Maybe it was Greg, but where, you know, he answers the door and he's like, what mom? And, yeah. and he opens the door and just like right in, just yeah. right in. And I won't tell you what the zombie ish creature does to him. Yeah. But it just like literally just waltzes into the room. Immediate, immediate murder. Yeah. Um, from the slowest, uh, horror movie monster, uh, possible. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those movies where is, is often as you ask, I was so upset. I didn't see it in the theater, uh, with the right kind of crowd yelling at the screen. Cause there are so many moments in this film, as in most horror films of, of like this particular strain yeah. where it's like, okay, very simple, very simple solution. You know how fast it moves. You drive your car two States every three months you're fine yeah uh just become or or pass it on to a uh a hobo he rides the rails anyway he's gonna be fine um like there's just so many obvious strategies that never ruin the movie because it's still so engaging right yeah and it's that's the thing is is
0: I feel like it's a little bit rare, not since gremlins. I think not that that's necessarily a horror movie, not since gremlins have like the rules been so clearly underlined here. They are, (laughs) um, two, five minutes in eight minutes into the movie. Yeah. Here are the rules. And it's a wonderful scene. I think when they, when they, uh, uh, talk about the rules, but anyway, and so, yeah. Uh, and the minute, a a movie horror or otherwise, uh, gives you the rules. They're basically inviting the audience to find flaw. Mm. And I think there are flaws with this one. The, thing, the, the big one that gets me is like, how do you... Like the very first person that this ever happened to. Yeah. How did they know? Yeah. I feel like they're dead. Yeah. It's just like, Hey, who's this weird guy coming next to me? Uh-oh. And then they're dead. Yeah, and then, they're and dead. then they don't have the opportunity to, to tell They don't have five
1: it. people surrounding yeah. them, to swing chairs at the invisible monster. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, and so, you know, if you think about that, it's just like, huh, yeah, I feel like there's gotta be a lot of firsts that die pretty quickly. And then the, then one person
1: and then how do you even go about figuring it out? Uh, chicken in the egg. You know, We're in a chicken in the egg yeah. murder murder movie conundrum. But
0: you, but you can't think about that. You you just have to think of the fact that it is now that it is now here. And I think that speaks to the idea of dread, which was, well, we can spend a lot of our time trying to figure out how this came to be or we can just try to stay alive. That sounds good to me. Let's do that. Um, and I think the 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 good horror movies will will not allow you a whole lot of time to uh, to figure out the flaws with it, and what I one thing I do like about this film actually is that it will allow the characters some breathing room to try to figure out what they think they're going to do um, but uh, i I feel like the the film is like primed for a sequel, and I would love to see. Yeah or or one could even say maybe a prequel
1: yeah. uh yeah. where I he- totally <laughs> want to find victim zero patient <laughs> patient zero yeah. cuz let's let's just say it's it's slut shaming to the extent that uh horror movie monster as std just there's a just an equal sign right there it's that it's that direct correlation and yet so who's patient zero I don't know uh, yeah I yeah. don't know yeah and how does that how does that even work Bathsheba.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I want to get uh, biblical about it, but, um, but to me that I think, I think a really interesting story or you, almost like a short film, which is you find the guy who decides I'm going to drive for, I'm going to drive two States away yeah. every oh, couple yeah. months, but it's literally just like you get to a point where you sort of set up a life, but it's never going to be that it, it's still transient. And it's just one of those days when you it's like all right it's been a couple months I'm in a new place I've got you know I've got some some construction worker. I get, I get paid you know in cash and then that's satisfying. Then you see someone walk up and it's like shoot time to move again I, and I then really you keep like going that. you know
1: Yeah um, net, like let's let's sequel <laughs> Let's see the sequel as the platform to explore the most obvious audience uh, questions of the of the first movie. That's a that's an interesting. I I I got I got to think of a film that does that a second a second film that does that
0: well and when you think about it like if you were to approach it like that the idea that somebody has to just keep moving on because of this thing and if you want to approach it in an std way uh well that is aids like that is hiv like jen was just watching philadelphia the other day and it's about a guy who is forced to leave his his uh his law firm because of the stigma associated in this case because he is gay but also because of what he has and people not wanting to be a part of it. Now mm. it's not like people are running him out of town, but this thing that is a part of him is forcing him to leave. And yeah. so I feel, I don't know. I feel like uh, there's a lot of potential here. I think the film um, did well enough with its intended audience that I think, uh, I think it could stand a sequel or a prequel because I think there's more in this mythology to explore.
1: Well, it kept, it kept out before, like you mentioned, you know, when it was at Sundance, I, there was a lot of buzz about it, it was all also like, eh, this probably isn't going to get a theatrical run. It did. It did well. It yeah. kept opening bigger and bigger, kept getting a wider release. Yeah. I mean,
0: like, uh, I mean, I saw it in an arc light and I'm not surprised that that was an arc light movie, but, but it, it released it. I mean, I'm, I'm in North Hills. Nobody cares right. where I am. Uh, but there are theaters around here that, it opened mm-hmm. at, and I was very excited, and it did well, which I'm excited about. Yeah, um, it's, it. I think it's pretty rare for a movie to, to do word of mouth business, because um, this didn't have a huge marketing budget or anything like that. It was just people saying, "Hey, you got to see this thing."
1: Yeah, and that's sort of, sort of the hallmark of the, of those, those nickel movies that made ten dollars yeah. in the genre you know that that is Blair Witch and Paranormal yeah. Activity that that is that that was the marketing it was people people telling people
0: although with Blair Witch like it had a pretty good marketing push yeah, and then it. if anything people said ah that wasn't so good even though I loved it <laughs> yeah um I, can't,
1: that, oh, I did too I did I thought it was like such a special like just the cultural the cultural moment of yeah of you got you know the cam using the camcorder aesthetic at a, at a point in time where it actually was, you know, it's it's a scary visual that just the the look of camcorder video, yeah, aesthetically is great for a horror film. But actually using it at a point in time when that's what we're shooting on, whereas there's so many movies that are still using it for scares, yeah, that do not. It, it is purely aesthetic and doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I uh,
0: okay. Maybe we should. Maybe it, it's not on the schedule this year, but maybe next year we can talk about Blair Witch. Um, That'd be funny to watch that in 2015. I mean, I saw it a few years ago. Yeah, and I think it holds it up holds great. Up, I'm like, curious. It's. I don't think. I think it's more than simply. It was one of the first. I yeah. think it was also one of the best. Yeah, I, I'd um, be really curious to see that again. Because I think at the. T- I think because when you're the first, you don't. Uh, you don't know what cliches to rely on, and so you just do it as best you can. And then everything that comes after, (laughs) is just like, Oh, well we just know what to copy and we'll just do it artificially. But, um, so with it follows. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, artistically I thought the, the performances were good all around. I do think the lead performance, especially, uh, by, I believe her name is, uh, Micah Monroe. Hmm. Um, and she was also, uh, I mentioned the guest earlier. She was also in the guest. Um, she's just a, she's a very, very good actress. That's right.
1: I recognize her now. Now that Um, you mentioned that.
0: And fear is a i mean you're 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 an actor. Have you ever had to play somebody intensely frightened or are you always the one killing?
1: No I mean um but uh, answer is yes to okay. your question uh, yes to both i I the best way I've had to I mentioned sympathy and lack of judgment as far mm-hmm. as uh, character lens and I think that the sort of stuff I've played, whether written that way or uh, some combination of the writing and the acting. Uh, there there's usually a grain of sympathy I've been I've been told uh, and I think that has to do with I gener you, you've heard this phrase I think it I think it might come even from like 12step programs but hurt people hurt people oh okay yeah I'm I'm the person who was hurt and so is going mm-hmm. gonna murder yeah yeah um and so I, I think that maybe that that is sort of I mean obviously we're sympathetic for folks who were damaged when they were once innocent and and are therefore sort of um, beyond repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have found a lot of reward in, I mean, the, like the worst character i ever played. There's a, a, bu- a beautiful play written by a Brit called uh, Byrony Lavery is her name. And the name of the play is Frozen. And the protect I was in the West Coast premiere I that
0: saw day. the Disney adaptation of that and so were you like the snowman or what well, what's the oh
1: yeah different very different okay um and I was in the West Coast premiere of that and, and I mean that man is a rapist and murderer of children oh wow and uh every, every uh every word you said got worse yeah yeah right it just kept, <laughs> just kept going it's like rapist well that's not good murder okay of children wow and, well done and that and that that play ends spoiler alert uh i gotta start using it non-literally um i that play ends with his committing suicide uh in the toilet bowl of his prison cell um which uh in the universe of this play Mm -hmm. i i see as i acted as i do see insist on as a redemptive moment Hmm. um And, uh, you know, if a monster realizes they're a monster, they're the hero to kill the monster. Um, so, you know, that, that's a really long way around the barn to say that, you know, it's a
0: Wolfman situation. Like Lawrence Talbot is constantly trying to kill himself and we're actually rooting for that, which is a very tragic thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the super long answer to that is, yeah, I, I don't generally, I, there's no such thing, right? There's no such thing as the. I mean, as Christians, there's no such thing as someone who doesn't still have the image of God within them. Right. So therefore there's, there is no such thing as like, this is what monster movies, there's they're such a, a thought exercise in what is, mm-hmm. is pure evil because on a human level, we've never seen it. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no one. No matter what the extreme example you you might name is, come on, everybody, think of a historical character people right will, now. People will say, you "Think of think of that guy." Yeah. Um, there's there's no there's no example because we all still, no matter how whatever amount of muck we've buried it under, or others have buried it under, the image we still bear the image of God.
0: And I feel like that's one thing that I like about the film is that when you think about okay, so there's a character named. Hugh, otherwise known as Jeff, he goes by a, a, a different name early on. He's the guy who gives right, her uh, it, uh, it initially, and it would be, and then they seek him out, and it would be very, very easy to paint him as the monster because one of the things about it follows is it puts it puts everybody in the position of being the monster, not the actual monster, but they're the ones inflicting this on somebody else now Mm. so that they can save themselves. And so it would be super easy. I found myself wanting to get angry at him for doing this to her. But when you see him, you see that, Oh no, he's, he's a regular person. He does not want this to happen to her. He doesn't want her to get hurt quite the opposite. Um, Which is why he, you know, certainly there's an element of self preservation when you tell somebody the rules because it means they're going to pass it on and they're going to run. And then you get, it gets further out from you. But it's also like, hey, I meant no ill will. I just don't want to die. But I also don't want you to die. So let's figure this out together. And I feel like a lesser movie would have treated him as, we got to get this guy killed because uh, look what he did to our precious protagonist. But she's she's going to have to do it too. And what I like is that everybody is equally guilty and a victim of this thing.
1: Yeah, and I, I love the scenes. I I love the scenes that are so... You know, where where two two dudes offer their services to her, uh, yeah. After being told, and you know, there's the dynamic of they they kind of believe her. One of them seems to not believe her. Okay, he just wants to get laid. Okay, he dies real fast. Yeah. Then the other guy, well, it is altruistic because he seems to believe her, but also he's wanted to get with her for years. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's a it's a really ingenious way to sort of incriminate everybody. Well, yeah, it's, and to, it, you can incriminate always, everyone is also to exonerate them, right?
0: Yeah. You can always examine somebody's motivations in this film. Um, because somebody could be doing something completely selfless, but they still get some benefit out of it. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I think is fascinating, it's a, it's an interesting acknowledgement when, uh, when Hugh is explaining the rules to her And one thing that he says that I find, again, endlessly fascinating is when he says, you're a girl, it will be easier for you, Yeah, you know? And that's the other thing. Like when you, when you look at, when you, when you look at it from that perspective and you really want to try and delve into the the complexity of the rules, conceivably, if you're going to pass it on, you don't want to pass it on to a hobo, except for, except in the sense that like, I don't like using the word hobo, but you know, it's not, not the 1930s, it's but derogatory r- right in the rails, not you know. the accepted um, term, but like, you don't want to pass it on to somebody like that, except that maybe they'll keep moving and dry and pull this thing away from you. But at the same time, you may want to pass it along to somebody who is very likely to pass it along themselves. Yeah you know, like you don't want to pass it along to somebody who's decided uh, they're never going to do it again. Yeah. You know? And so it's something it, it's like, I don't know. And so suddenly being superficial and being very surfacey <laughs> and judging somebody based on beauty mm. is an asset. Yeah. yeah. So like, that's, that's the thing by making this by tying this to sexuality, I think it, it allows us to explore all manner of human behavior Um, which I find fascinating and, you know, and we can delve into that a little bit more, um, because you talked about it as, you know, monster as STD or horror as STD, whatever you want to call it. And, um, it is that, but I feel like it's so much, there's so much more. There's an, like, that's a purely physical component. I think there's also an emotional component.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't talk about, I mean, you you can't examine humanity without examining sexuality, and that, that I, it was sort of a side thought that now becomes appropriate and a a, a non side thought. Okay, I'm articulate, folks, and he's uh, a writer. You were yeah. It's easier <laughs> when you get time to write him down. Um, the words that is, uh, you were you were talking about um, readings of the movie as as pro or anti, or maybe you said con, uh, sex. And just the, the idea that, you know, as a, as a theologically very conservative uh, Christian personally, um, I, I I just like, and this is not to, I I respect Tyler as a, as a Christian, as a person, but like, I I don't want that to get lost in my description of like the, the idea that you could be con or anti or, or even pro something that is such a, such a complex part of our life. Like I personally believe God is ultra pro sex. Sure. Of course that has its constraints sex within certain parameters, but I I think it's just a funny, but I think culturally your terminology is appropriate Mm -hmm. because culturally the narrative even from ourselves sometimes is that Christians are anti-sex and that secular, secular society is sex wild.
0: Well, and, and, and the wor- the, the, the term that comes out is sex positive, sex positive and sex positive. And what that usually equals out to, um, is a certain degree of, and, and by the way, uh, listeners, I know that uh, a lot of you are not Christian. And so if you would like to correct me on this, please do. Um, because I don't want to be spouting this, uh, incorrectly, but as far as I can tell, when somebody uses the term sex positive, what they usually mean is removing any stigma from promiscuity. Mm. Um, and somebody just does this as like a, Oh, what do they say? in uh, big Lebowski, like a rich zesty enterprise, you know, <laughs> like it's just this, it's this, uh, was that a brand? Is that a brandism? <laughs> oh, brand. I miss you. And so, uh, the, um, shoot, who did, no, that's Julianne Moore that says that, oh. uh, after she decides she's going oh, to, yes. you that's know what right. she, and she uses the word enterprise. The now, enterprise, she uses the word enterprise because what did she just do? She just had sex with, with, uh, the dude, Yeah, but she did it primarily because she wanted to have sex. And so I feel like what's interesting is that I think it follows, explores, I, I think it's a, in a way it's a very Christian idea, which is it takes something that is inherently good. But every time somebody does it in the film, it's for purely self... Not entirely. There is one person who recognizes what's going to happen to them and they're willing to take it on themselves. So there is that. But I feel like you know, the initial guy, like he's on this, he's on a date with this girl, he's enjoying himself. but then once he sees it in the back of that yeah. theater quickly, uh, the date has escalated yeah. and now he, he wants to do this thing purely for his own gain. Mm-hmm. It's something that is meant to be a connection between people, but people use it as a way of fulfilling themselves.
1: And, the, and I, I feel like those scenes are so strong, like the sex scene in the hospital, mm-hmm. which is so transactional. It's just, it leaves a pit in your stomach.
0: That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. There's no, there, yeah, there, Mm, (laughs) there's not a lot of heart to that. It's It's just just so
1: gross. Yeah.
0: Um, and so that's the thing is I don't want to say that the film is sex negative, but I, I don't think it's sex positive. I think it's, if anything, I think it's sex realistic. I think it recognizes just how, how personal it can be and how personal it is, whether people acknowledge it to be or not. Um, but also how often it is misused. And I think it is a film very much about uh, consequences, but not in the standard scream horror way, which was you have sex and you die, but it's more just like th- there's behaviors and maybe even more specifically, there's attitudes that you engage in. But one- and once you head down that path, you might need to just keep going down that path because in order to either escape consequences or put off consequences or or whatever.
1: Well, now that I've had a, a primer on the usage of the phrase uh, sex positive, uh, I strongly agree um, I, I think what the movie is about, especially in its sexual ethics, I think the movie is about the things we carry mm-hmm. um, there's this little there's this little idea that a lesser movie. Um, And I think for a while I was uh, convinced it would be a greater movie, that that they really just missed an opportunity. But the more I think about it, the more I think it, it added so much depth to the film, this idea that it looks like someone from your past. Yeah. Which, after that line was said, there was, I think, only one time was the audience member able, and this was a connection on the audience member's part, to see that the guy following her in the pool sequence was her dad from a photo. Right. You had to put that together yourself. And other than that, I don't think there was even anything you could put together. You just had to know that this was all connected so personally to the person's baggage. Yeah. And so there's this historical element of these ghosts that haunt you, yeah. these ghosts that follow you. And then there's this very physical sense in which the glue that, uh, to, to borrow a, a way our pastor describes uh, uh, intercourse a lot, the, the glue, the human glue that is a sexual interaction, uh, there's an acknowledgement of the bonding, intentional and otherwise, that does in this movie that you don't see mm-hmm. with, say, a more typical sex positive sure. viewpoint that it's just, it's just something you do sometimes for recreation, um, that, that this is going to have a, a lasting effect. Yeah.
0: And, and I, I, I really like the idea of, of it being about baggage in general. I'm looking at one of the quotes that I wrote down where Hugh says, even though it is following you, I can still see it. It's not done with me yeah. either. Um, This idea that, you know, uh, I think people use any number of things that are meant one way, but it goes another. It could be money. It could be, you know, even just emotional love, like using it to fill some kind of void, using it to like, I've been broken in some way. And this will, f- this will make me better. Mm. You know, I am, I, I know that. Okay. So, all right. Uh, this, this show tends to be kind of vulnerable sometimes. Um, so I've only ever had sex with uh, one person, which is my wife. And so, uh, Hey, it's uh, marital sex. Everything about it is fine. Right. It is, except I know that I, myself, if I'm feeling particularly unacceptable as a person, I tend to want sex more mm. because I seldom feel more accepted than afterwards, mm. and I realize that like, oh, now I'm using it not necessarily like if I I need to be careful to not use it as just a way of validating myself. It's still about a connection, but it's a thing like for my own broken reasons, the only, all the baggage, all the emotional baggage that I bring to everything in my life. It's like oh, I found a way to alleviate that for a little while. I think I'm going to do that. And uh, Hey, who's to say, it's like, it's with my wife. So there's nothing officially wrong about it, except it still kind of is
1: officially officially Um, is the big word. Well, Yeah. I was in a conversation with a a friend of mine, who's a gay Christian and a very serious Christian, and he's felt extremely ostracized and not that he needs to be convinced that he's not that he needs people within the church to be convinced that he's doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. uh, by embracing for the first time in his life at an advanced age, uh, his sexuality, uh, but that he feels people are unwilling to engage in any sort of dialogue. Sure. And as I talked to him about this, I was like, well, yeah, I'm sort of the, you know, from the, as you say, official standpoint, I'm, I'm like a poster child for, for what a Christian sex life is supposed to be. I'm having hetero married sex and I misuse sex all the time. Yeah. And like you know, and and I and you know, to get frank, I I I don't engage with pornography at all. I think that's exceptional. And and the the degree that we the the degree that we as hetero married folks don't admit the ways in which we sin sexually, mm-hmm. and then the ways we vilify one sort of uh, one sort of sexual behavior over and against like the absolute pandemic that is pornography abuse in the church. Uh, And it's just, it's one of those things that we just don't talk about and we'd rather just sort of keep our, it's just, it's just so much easier to assume that you're, you're married and you're not divorced and therefore sexually speaking, you're perfect.
0: Yeah. Everything's working out just fine. No Um, brokenness there at all. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, and I feel like this is, which is why, uh, yeah, I feel like, the film anybody who says that uh that it's purely about like a metaphor for s t d is like yes, it is that <laughs> there's no question about it, but it's about uh, i feel i wonder okay, this is me maybe uh, casting aspersions, but like I wonder if people latch onto that because it's technically true and It maybe allows them to not go deeper and talk about the emotional ramifications of sex. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that in a a sex positive world, people do approach it as purely a fun recreational activity, which, by the way, it still can be. Mm -hmm. But there is there's always going to be an emotional component to it
1: yeah unless you're a monster unless you're some kind of monster i mean i i you know the majority of my friends are not christians the majority of my friends are you know have have had multiple multiple sexual partners and the majority of my friends are good people none of whom would say that any sexual encounter they've ever had did not have an emotional component right like it is a crazy thing to say
0: even if it's not even if it's not a a function of oh well i now feel so close to this person i want to marry them i'm not talking about that but it could just be even if it's talking about like how i experience it we're just afterwards you just feel not merely physically better but you feel emotionally better Mm -hmm. you just feel like even if somebody wants to boil it down to like, oh, well, there are chemicals released in the brain and now you feel better. It's like, yes, the same chemicals that come with uh, emotions yeah. and uh, yeah. or that cause emotions or whatever. So like there is, you know, because uh, I think the film also has to do with, among other things, like sexu- uh, sex addiction or maybe addiction in general. But I think sex addiction especially because it very much does involve another person mm. um, and it requires yeah. another person. And so I feel like... You know, I, sex addiction, I it's, it's interesting because so many people don't think it exists. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I've talked to people who say, like, yeah, you're just talking about having sex. We all love doing it. It's like, yeah. yes, that is true. I can't argue with that. However, there are some people for whom, for whom this is the only way they can feel good about themselves. Yeah. And that they can to go back to the film, this is the only way they can really exist or live or survive at all Hmm. in the same way that somebody who has gotten drunk enough times that they're like, this is the only way I can be happy.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, I I think it's, I think I've heard that and not, not for like a decade. Yeah. Thank God. But that, that idea like that uh, sex addiction, is that just, doesn't that just mean you're a man? Um, oh, no, I appreciate
0: the uh, voice you use too. Cause yeah. somehow that's the voice in
1: my head. Yeah. Anytime. Like, yeah. uh, it's just, just from like a biochemical perspective. you know, I, I think I've taken three psych classes okay. ever. That was, you know, when I was in college over a decade ago and it's just anything that sets off that sets off those particular chemicals in your brain, the feel good chemicals to the degree that sex does, you can absolutely form a dependence on those, like whether it's cocaine or sex or gambling or alcohol. Sure. Like, yeah, that that's like just prime territory for addiction. And when you add in, like, I think the the glue idea of, like, you know, you mentioned the the positives of feeling post coitus. Um, uh, I, man, you mentioned Lebowski, and all of a sudden I have to say coitus. Yeah. Um. The the physical act of love, Jeffrey. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Could we just do a whole podcast that we just Let's do it? We can only communicate in Lebowski clothes, uh, uh, specifically well, just brand and uh, what's her? What's her mod Maud yeah, just brand and mod. Well, everybody else swears, and this is a non swearing podcast, <laughs> oh, so it's going to be tough. Oh, darn. Um, <laughs> but uh, the like you you mentioned these positives, these sort of chemical positives and emotional positives. And like for me, uh, when you talk about emotional positives, the biggest one for me is an enhancement of the feeling of oneness. Mm-hmm. Like I never feel more like one person with my wife than, 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 then. Yeah. And I think that that, that is sort of that thing that, the that, 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 the the sex positive perspective, I, I think it's that, that like elephant in the room mm-hmm. that is acknowledged at your peril, because that, that means that you should limit, your sexual partners because you are, you're, you're spreading this connective tissue of yours very thin. Um, yeah, anyway. And it's, and, and
0: to get back to a term that you've, that you've used, um, the idea of slut shaming, which is a thing that like, it is, it is true that that happens. And I'm the first one to say like, We all have our thing. We all have our way of coping. We all have our way of like, this is how I can feel good. Even if the person doesn't acknowledge that that's what it's about, it's like, this is a thing that I enjoy and I never feel better than afterwards. Like Mm. everybody probably has their thing. And Mm -hmm. this is, and and in a culture where I think sex is made more and more casual, uh, anybody, man or woman, um, who engages in this. I'm not saying that it's, that it's correct, but at the very least, like there, there should be no shaming involved, you know? And I feel like this goes to sort of, um, the, the Greg character, the guy who has sex with the main character, Mm -hmm. but doesn't seem to really be on board with what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, you can look at his attitude in any number of why, ways.
1: Why was, why was it so slow to get to him? Come on. I mean, other than, uh, and, and again, it's one of those uh, questions it likes you to ask. to set the mood? Yeah, right. Yeah. Other than, <laughs> other than the note, other than, other than purely like plot and s- script structure reasons, there's no, based on the explicit rules we'd be, we've been given, there's no reason for it to like go and hide for a few days when they haven't left town. Um, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I think that I think the great character is a great example of. I, I think he's sort of the the little petri dish for the the sexual ethics of this film. Mm-hmm. Like we're sort of he's one of the. There's this moment where between when he has the hospital room sex that is such a brilliant and awful scene. Yeah, and then and then he's back with her and like comforting her and like touching her thigh. He's off like eating lunch at the cafeteria and, like, flirting with another girl. Yeah. And there's just the filmmakers telling you to hate this guy. Yeah. Uh, which they don't do with anybody else.
0: Yeah, and I think it's because of his general... It, obviously, it's because of his attitude and, and sort of uh, an enterprising attitude, but also because he doubts so much. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you want to go back to the idea of people doubting the concept of sex addiction, like, you could say that him...
1: Just, just tell them. Just tell yeah. them, Tyler. Okay. Give, them the, so, give them the
0: visual. So he is. Uh, so Jeff is now standing, uh, but is completely uh, bent over, and I cannot see. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Well, given the context, of what we're talking about, that's not what I mean. Um, oh. But uh, stretching out the old back there. Yeah, the aforementioned back problems. So, yeah. um, but he's somebody who says like, "Oh yeah, no, absolutely. What you're going through is absolutely a real thing. Whatever." And then he rolls his eyes. And how many people have? have you encountered either online or in real life who approach sex addiction or even maybe, or maybe even the idea that sex means something. Yeah. You get people like, yeah, I'm sure it does. Absolutely. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to get what I, what I want and then I'm going to go try and find someone else to do it with and everything will be fine. Um, and that, and yeah, it is worth noting that, the only character that is that is, whose attitude is condemned is his, mm. because he's cavalier, he is unbelieving, and uh, generally selfish. Yeah, and the, yeah. an argument could be made that every character is selfish in their own way because of what they're trying to do. But he his is the only kind of selfishness that we are meant to say like, yeah, we don't want him to die.
1: But. but
0: yeah, it it's that kind of thing. And so I find that very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and it's funny that in a movie you know with no human I I just think it's pretty it's it's important to the the movie that there's some human villain to some extent. Yeah. Cuz this thing is so other, so not human uh, you know, basically a disease. How do you, you know, how do you make a, how do you make a villain? Like, I think you need those moments where there's somebody to hate for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even though we end up not being able to hate Hugh slash Jeff fully, it's like, he needs to be replaced by, by Greg.
0: Well, and also it's, it's not an uncommon, uh, horror trope that the skeptic, which by the way, in any horror movie, any of us would probably be the skeptic. Any of us would be like, wait, what? I don't believe you. Yeah. Um, but in horror films, it's important that the skeptic is dealt with so that we, the audience can be like, Oh boy, (laughs) I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to believe what the film tells me. So functionally, that is the role that he plays. But, it is worth noting that the skeptic, it's not merely that they are disposed of in horror films. They are often disp- disposed of with great prejudice or, yeah, or whatever it is, extreme, like extreme prejudice. extreme prejudice. Like the, 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 f- if, if a horror film can be said to take glee in killing somebody, it is the skeptic. Yeah. Um, and so, but I think he's a, a special case because his skepticism is not merely I'm, st- I'm sitting back and questioning, what we're talking about it's I can exploit it's like I don't believe it, but I can exploit their belief of it and get something out of it. And when you think about it from the point of view of like sexual, you know, sexual predators and I don't necessarily mean like towards children or something, but like, you know, like a ladies man or something like that, or just a guy who will, you know, it, it seems like such a cliche, but I know it exists guys or maybe even women who will, who approach someone As though sex means as much to them as it does to this other person. And they're like, no, absolutely. And they play a certain part. They're playing on the other person's expectations and beliefs about sex in order to just get this thing for themselves. So I feel like he's a very specific type of skeptic. He's a very opportunistic uh, skeptic. Yeah, right. Um, And uh, I guess the equivalent is the the, uh, modern uh, Hollywood executive who's just like... Look, I don't believe this Christian stuff, but it sure does pay well. So uh, let's, uh, yeah, Aronofsky, you should make a Noah film. Um, <laughs> Actually, I kind of like that one. So we'll stick with me, uh, me too. It's it like, was a good movie. Let's say uh, Ridley Scott, you can make a Moses film because that one wasn't very uh, good. Oh yeah, did I you see that
1: one? No, I didn't. Look like I should bother with it.
0: It has its moments, but it's not that good. Yeah, um, I appreciate its use of practical sets. It uh, so yeah. it feels very lived in. I'll oh, like that's that. great.
1: But, um, but yeah, so you it, you brought to mind. Um, you know, to divert this podcast as much as possible. Sure. Spoiler alert there. That wasn't literal. Um, Except that someone's like, wait, you're going to divert. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to divert. Uh, I didn't know it was going to happen. You mentioned the term ladies, man. And it just immediately uh, I'd never before occurred to me as a a really funny analog to gentlemen's club. Because a gentleman's mm-hmm. club is something a gentleman would never enter. So too is a <laughs> lady's man—a man a lady would never have anything to do with. I, that's yeah, yeah, that's true. I was, anyway, I hadn't thought of. So I love words, folks. They're my <laughs> friends. They're my best friends.
0: I do love the idea because I, it, in my neighborhood, there are a few gentlemen's clubs. Now, I've never been in a strip club. so much about it makes me uncomfortable. Um, one of them, and I feel like maybe i'm'm I'm, I'm towing the line of what's appropriate to talk about on this podcast. But one of the big things is part of me is just like it'd be weird to be like, let's say there are like sixty guys in this gentleman's club. It's just like, yeah, it's weird to be around all these boners. yeah, that would be including weird. mine. Like we're all just here, yeah, I don't like the knowledge of that is something that needs to be I think it seems like the <laughs> darkest experience, yeah. But if you came in in a tuxedo and top hat and yeah, a monocle yeah. and a cane. Monocle like, is it's like It's like, now I've been told this is a gentleman's club. Well, I'm a gentleman and I would like to. Oh, I say, what's happening on stage? Oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> you are not gentlemen. <laughs> what? What? What sort of burlesque is this? Oh, um,
0: so... Uh, that seems like a, not even a full sketch. That's like a
1: 45 second sketch. You can't even, it's like barely a thing on the internet. It's It's like barely, barely, barely barely could make it onto funny or die. If it were really good. Yeah. Yeah. We've had like Jack McBrayer and Will Ferrell in a maybe Maybe it could
0: make the front page. Um, but I feel like, oh, you know what? Here's the thing. What you do is you do some stunt casting. You have Benedict Cumberbatch play the gentleman yeah. and come in and be as British as his
1: name suggests. What a ridiculous name! <laughs> Isn't he like actual royalty? Isn't it feels like he? And should be. And now we begin the podcast where I just talk trash about the business of acting and actors that I that I that I was talking about with Tyler. The podcast I'll never make. So you have a problem with Benedict Cumberbatch? No, I think he's he's an excellent actor. I I, I think his name is like. On, on its face, ridiculous. And if ever someone should have changed their name, <laughs> sorry, that's it's not actual, that's not an actual criticism of a person. Um, he, he seems like gone a, gone lovely by ben Cumberbatch a lovely He's a lovely actor. Yeah. Um, I was just, uh, watching, uh, I would never watch the movie. I was just watching tapes of him do the mocap for, uh, smog. And oh, those was, scenes are great. That was fascinating because I, there's a possibility I'll have some mocap in my future and I have zero interaction with it so i wanted to learn a bit and that was a blast to watch to watch him do that
0: yeah, yeah watching him or andy and circus. circus like there it's it's amazing and those scenes oddly enough are the best in in <laughs> all the films the one with gollum and the one with smog or and i what i what i failed to this is off topic i'm sorry everybody but um but what i failed to uh recognize in the moment was like Oh, it's Holmes and Watson, uh, <laughs> but like not certainly not that, but it's, uh, something I, I, that occurred to me way later than it probably should have. But, um, so he's to get, the reason to see that second Star
1: Trek movie.
0: He is so rad in that. I like a lot of that Star Trek movie.
1: Oh no, I, I I'm a sucker it's for bones. A, no, like it's, a, it's a fine, it's a fine popcorn movie. Yeah. Like, and I, I believe in the need for popcorn movies, sure. but like he he elevates that movie a lot.
0: I think so. Yes, he takes a character because when you look at the way the character is written, relatively bland. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I think, he really does something with it. Yeah, man. Um, and that is a character that is uh, important to the Star Trek world, and so it was important that he play it uh, as sincerely and charismatically as possible. Um, so we will get back to the film. Um, so I'm not sure what so. You know, I, I'm 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 iffy to, to necessarily move on because I feel like, you know, no uh, no conclusion has been come to, but I feel like with a movie like this, it's probably best that you that you can't say definitively what it's about. I think it explores a lot and I think that's okay
1: yeah i'm, I'm you, you know? got the wrong guest for telling anyone what any piece of art is about yeah you
0: apologies look, guys if you want that then go to well any other episode of more than one lesson because right. i have i'm totally go. comfortable it's not even so much that i say this is definitively what the movie is about but it's like this is the this is the one of the themes that we will be specifically exploring whereas
1: in this one i i think it's just i think my the closest i would come is there's this uh oh, man what is the guy's name um a brilliant fiction writer who was a, a soldier, uh, his John Grisham name's O'Brien. Oh, okay. His last name's O'Brien, I'm pretty sure. And he wrote this book uh, called the things we carry. Oh yes and, yes. and so, you know, it's about, it's about the experience of being a soldier and, you know, carrying this huge pack and this large gun. And of course it's also about all the things that happen to these soldiers and the things that the bags they need to carry from that point forward in their lives and the baggage that brought them there. And I think, from you know if if war is if war and the the soldiers pack is the the central metaphor there you know as the metaphor for life in this case is is sex Mm -hmm. and and the relationships we have or don't have yeah um from those sexual encounters and the just a way of like an amazing sort of thought uh Thought experiment with, uh, literalizing and, and giving flesh to this idea of, you know, what, what sex can be, although it's completely the negative side of that. We don't see any positives. Um, right. Like w- within the horror genre, what it, what it can be. And I, yeah, I just, man, I liked
0: it. Yeah. And it's uh, and one thing that I do like about it, uh, one of the many things is that I feel like I, I I feel like I should have said this earlier. I feel like it it writes and plays younger people really well. Yeah. Um. Both when they're hanging out casually, but also when they're trying to figure out how to combat this thing or what to do. I feel like the way they. I feel like that it it's kid logic, not children, but like mm-hmm. I think it's teenager logic, which which is. The first the acknowledgement that this is bigger than us and we're not really sure what to do but no there's no way anybody's going to believe us so i guess we're on our own yeah um i think it writes those scenes really well i think the actors all do a great job it, it, i feel like i am watching high schoolers instead of you know uh, a 35 year old man write high schoolers yeah remembering like well let's see eight uh was that 17 years ago? I think I have a pretty good memory for it. like, it just, it feels organic. It feels and it real.
1: It has to, it's, it's all them. The adults yeah. are so ancillary other than when they're sort of the, the image of the monster, you know, they're, the parents are all absentee. Yeah. Um, and I love, I love that dynamic in this too. The, the sort of the, the lives, these kids leave and sort of that, Parents' worst nightmare thing. Yeah. Like be an involved parent, or not only are your parent your kid's gonna get an S T D, they're gonna get the the murder STD. <laughs> um, right. I yeah, I I think the 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 casting was the casting and the directing and obviously what they brought to the performances themselves was the the actors were awesome.
0: And I think it actually helps to a make the characters more vulnerable, but also given everything that's going on, it's not merely that they're trying to figure out how do we fight this thing, but they're also still trying to figure out what is expected of them sexually mm-hmm. and what is acceptable sexually and that yeah. sort of thing. Like they're still finding themselves. Well, and there's
1: these throwaway lines that, you know, as, as is usually the case, uh, are, are so important. Um, where, uh, we like after the, when she's talking to, when she's talking about the good guy, when she's talking to the good guy about the, we she's talking about Paul talking to Paul about the sexual encounter with George. Like she says, it's no big deal. We did it in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas the tenor of that scene showed us that it was very clearly a big deal. Oh yeah. And it was not, it was not awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at every interaction that they have, even before like the stakes are raised by knowledge of this thing, it's incredibly tense and there's just like and I think both actors do a great job of just showing like there's still a lot there to go back to to go back to this line like it's not done with me. Yeah. You know. And uh to go back to, you know, that uh, magnolia line like we may be done with the past but the past is not done with us yeah. and I think this is a movie that that visualizes that wonderfully that there's always going to be consequences they might not be the most tangible but you're always going to go back to what you were talking about you're always going to be carrying this with you and because it involves another person they're carrying it with them and maybe it is something that isn't that big of a deal to you but that's not that certainly does not guarantee that it's not a big deal to them
1: oh that's interesting that's really interesting now now you say it that way and i'm trying to think reprocess like the rules of the movie through you know that sort of how it, the monster for some reason waits on George. Um, like maybe, Greg, maybe Greg, Greg, dang yes. it, Greg, uh, because it wasn't a big deal to him. It wasn't as real. It took time to, I don't know. Um, and the, I, I think one thing we haven't touched on that I, I want to just mention real quick, like as a, as a film viewer, I think the high, low, the high, low art aesthetic combination, in this film, not only is satisfying to me on like an abstract level. Cause I, I, want to do that Mm -hmm. like doing that in my own work but it works so well um there aren't many horror films where you can get away quoting dostoevsky's the idiot (laughs) at the end of the film that's right and and that was the clamshell (laughs) e-reader Wait, I mean, and, and just the the varying ages of the cars and the synth soundtrack, like it seems very clear that they're trying to tell us that we're not in our world. Yeah. This is Detroit because there's Twelve Mile Road, and they tell us that the city stops at Eight Mile Road. And if we've all seen a lovely Eminem movie, we know mm-hmm. that's Detroit. Um, but but yeah, I just man, I strong recommend from me absolutely. And and this
0: is one that. Uh... You know, so uh listeners know that uh, my co-host Josh is a fearful person uh when it comes to when it comes to film. <laughs> I'm glad you qualified that. It seemed like a general statement on his character for a second. Uh no, but like he he gets very uh wary about certain types of horror movies. He doesn't have a problem with something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Psycho, but the minute things take on a supernatural quality that's when he gets really iffy and this was one that he wasn't sure about and and that's the thing is when i see a a movie a horror movie that has a spiritual quality to it i will usually report back to him and say yeah i think you're good for this one um oh funny this one i do genuinely think he would be okay with because it's but i might be wrong I might be wrong because oddly enough, the spiritual stuff doesn't get to me that much. Um, there's a general creepiness and a sense of, you know, unease, but, um, but it doesn't make me paranoid. It doesn't keep me from sleeping or anything like that. And so it's hard, like, I would say if you're a horror person and that, that doesn't bother you, then obviously it follows as a strong recommend from me as well. But um, I don't know, maybe do a little bit of research and, uh, and <laughs> but I'd say take the chance. Like if you, even, excuse me, even if you feel like it might get to you.
1: There's I'm, always I'm, that good old stop button. It's the square. It's the square, guys.
0: But I'm re- I'm reluctant to say this, mm. which is, even if you're worried it might scare you, maybe it should. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world to engage in mm. from time to time. I'm not saying just immerse yourself, as we are this month, in horror films, <laughs> but like... Uh, you know it just uh clearly this is a film that is doing a lot this is a mm-hmm. film that's exploring a lot and so i feel like uh go ahead and explore with it and some of this stuff is a little bit scary some of it is a little bit uh unnerving and uh that's okay from time to time amen brother so uh and we will re- we will really quick talk about the uh, the companion film which is gore verbinski's the ring which uh, i'm somehow i don't
1: know why itching to talk about
0: you are I am okay now I haven't seen it in a long time the ring is a good example of a movie that Josh will not touch mm. at all um, it's it, a
1: spiritual component
0: I guess uh, there's a supernatural you know okay, it's a yeah, ghost yeah. type right. thing uh-huh. um, and some of those images are uh,
1: yeah the image disturbing yeah
0: um, now when I saw the ring I saw it uh, years ago I, rem- I remember it in a number of ways first off I do I, I kind of like the the uh, i kind of like the polish um and i can also look at it as i believe the first of the american horror movies that adapt asian horror movies and thus put a nice blue tint on everything that came for like 10 years afterwards um you know because this spawned like the grudge and the skeleton key and Mm. uh Oh shoot! What's the one with the water? Dark water, I think. Yeah. Um, like, there's just a million of these things. Um, that movie white was noise. almost good. Which one? Dark, Dark water. Water. Uh, I saw The Ring, and that was it. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the other ones. Um, are any of them recommendable? Um, You're I've, a seen, guy. I've
1: seen like the Asian uh, start the uh, seeds of those movies. Okay. I hadn't seen The Grudge until I woke up way too early this morning and thought I should watch the American one. My my. I think you could say seminal um, experience uh, with Ringu. Sure. uh, The Japanese one, which is itself based on a novel. That's right. The Uh, novel is by uh, Koji Suzuki. Whoa, there we go. The, the, uh, research department fired that one up for us. That's right. Thanks George. Um, there's a, there's a guy, there's a whole nother booth back here. The facility is beautiful.
0: Yeah. We lose a lot of money on this podcast. We, we <laughs> employ a lot of people, a lot of people. So um, maybe, uh, maybe everybody buy that dogma premium episode for uh, a, co- a couple of bucks.
1: Uh, Oh, on, Do- on dogma. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, the, uh, So Ringu in college, so that would have been, I'm an old man. That would have been like 2002, 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, By my girlfriend at the time, who it sounds like is like Josh, like could not do spiritual horror, but then still kind of did. Yeah. Like she's a person who uh, had nightmares about the devil coming to get her, like on a regular basis when she was a child. So anyway, um, she handed me that. VHS tape of ring <laughs> of Ringu. And it's just like, you know, and it, there's
0: something appropriate about the watching video, the film. Yeah. On the VHS. video
1: aesthetics, the video aesthetics of ev- even the Japanese version to a, a lesser extent are, are really important. And, you know, it's, it's more to that point of that sort of European and, and now Asian, like the differences in the horror genre uh, across continents. And, you know, I think for an American horror film, the ring is, is pretty good. But I, I do think it really undercuts itself at a lot of junctures. I think the tape itself, like the aesthetics of of the tape, they find like they had to nail that, and I think they came super close. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I don't know how to. I think it's one of those films that you just wish they had the comfort with the non Hollywood double twist uh, build a franchise ending such as our first film had
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where, you know, we, what more appropriate to end on than out of focus in the background, them being followed by, you know, what is shot as, you know, nothing more than another person walking on their sidewalk, but you you never know, you know, um, and, and, you know, that's clearly not, not that what is it paramount um it's clearly not paramount's agenda with making yeah. with making the ring
0: well because it was because they were taking a risk by making it at sure. all because they didn't know if american audiences would respond to this kind of strange imagery um i know that for myself when i think of the ring one of the first things i think is oh yeah that's that movie that made horses scary yeah you know what i mean there's like, nothing scarier than animal suicide man <laughs> it's just like way up there well and also i remember um years ago i remember uh jerry seinfeld had a bit where he happened to be it wasn't even this wasn't the key moment of the bit but he happened to describe horses and he said he's like ah oh, with that scary horsey face with that bowling ball eye and just the phrasing of it and he was like yeah they they do have kind of weird faces it's kind of <laughs> creepy um and there's a wonderful documentary called buck um have you seen it
1: it's is about that the rodeo
0: it's about the guy that no i'm thinking that of a movie called rank Oh, I've not seen that. Um, it is about the guy that inspired the Horse Whisperer, and so you see him. Oh,
1: yeah, uh, I, I saw that it exists. I didn't see it. It's marvelous. It's yeah. a really
0: great film, and and you see him deal with some of these very very wild horses, and you see that
1: uh, they bite.
0: You oh, see a I guy get. A,
1: I had to punch a horse in the head once. Uh, it it leaned out. It's it's uh, it's uh, it. And those heads are hard. Like I didn't hurt it. I I I used to fight, and so I can still kind of throw a punch. And I, I just obviously didn't hurt it. It hurt my hand a lot worse, but those skulls are thick and those heads are huge, but it, it bit me in the shoulder. I had to get it off me.
0: Why did it bite you in the shoulder? What are you doing? hanging around these horses.
1: Don't Some, you know how terrifying they are? Well, no. And at the point, at that point I didn't, at that point, if only yeah. I'd seen the ring, I yeah. wouldn't have been so close to that <laughs> exactly. fence.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, terrifying. They, um,
1: yeah. Those eyes. Do you have a scar? No. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, plenty of scars, not from that. Like Um, emotional scars. It was just weird. It was just weird. It's like very surprising. And you just, you just react and you're like, I didn't want to punch an animal, but I didn't like punch in the nose. It it wasn't like, there's no way this hurt that animal. Uh, anyway, I don't know how we got on a horse punching. I'm trying to think admittedly. Yes. It's, it's all my fault. I'm trying to
0: think. Hey, listeners, do you have a problem with what Jeff is saying? <laughs> do you have a problem with uh, the man. fact that he... Because uh, I know man. people aren't big into animal abuse, but uh, the, the horse started it. It admittedly. really hurt, and so. I just
1: reacted, and it definitely hurt my hand more than it hurt him. All right. these, are, these are mitigating uh, facts I know. Okay. I still did punch a horse. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no denying the horse you're, punching. Now you're a regular
0: Michael Vick. That's the way oh. I look at it. You're part of like a horse punching league. Oh. Um, but yeah. So, uh, so that we got onto it because I, I, th- when I think when I do you know about his ring, uh,
1: alias by the way, who's if you're going to talk about Michael Vick, we need to talk about Ron Mexico. Oh, Ron yes. Mexico That's right. is the name the man used when he would go out philandering. That's right. That was his brilliant fake name which if there's any good aspect to this
0: story which there isn't uh but if there is it's that there is a guy who would say hello my name is ron mexico (laughs) would you like to come back to my place
1: (laughs) for for like a minute they like you know before they shut it down they were selling like dozens of falcons jersey with mexico put it on the back with Vic's number oh it's so great Ah,
0: and then the woman wakes up, Mr. Mexico, why am I tied to a chair? <laughs> well, look, let me explain what's going what's gonna to happen to you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I I remember really liking The Ring. And when I was trying to think of a companion film for It Follows, I was thinking, of like, okay, well, what's something that is about, you know, it's something that people are spreading around. It's something that, you know, you just have to wait and this thing will come to you. So I was, I was toying with the idea and, and people trying to escape the consequences of, of something they've done. Mm. Um, so I was toying with either this or Final Destination, but I chose this because in both cases, it is like this very clear figure that is coming after you. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact that it's this tape that gets shared around uh, and never destroyed, which seems like a mistake. Mm. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, so I, I decided to go with that one. Now, I haven't seen it for years. Uh, you just saw just rewatched saw it. it this morning. I just saw it this morning. Um and you so you probably don't like it as much as Ringu, I assume.
1: You know, I I I just left it alone for years because Ringu was kind of so singular for me. Mm-hmm. Sort of the way that I I saw the grudge, the Japanese the grudge in the theater and it was one of the most insane movie going experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. like I, I saw it alone. I was like new to LA and I, I saw it alone. I knew I want to see it in the theater. and there you know this this tension aesthetic and this crazy imagery when it was new before it had been been copied by Hollywood um, that you'd never seen sort of humans bend that way is very disturbing. Mm-hmm. And just how slow this these like crawling monsters were just how long these scenes were, there's a dynamic in that theater. Uh, where is on Santa Monica Boulevard, just west of the 405? What is that theater? The Arrow? Is that the Arrow? The Landmark? I don't know. Uh, the old one. On Santa Monica? On Santa Monica Boulevard. Is that the new art? The new art. Is yeah, that the new yeah. art? Um, just being in this theater, surrounded by people, going through this experience, and I've never had this in, with another horror film, uh, not that I've seen that many in the theater, but Watching this thing happen on the screen and just feeling, oh my God, I'm gonna die. And then looking around you and being like, No, I'm in a movie theater. But also while you look around you, seeing other people saying, Oh my god, I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. And then you then you start saying it's the fight or flight thing. You start saying, I'm gonna leave. This is crazy. Why am I staying here? I'm gonna leave. And then you're like, no, leaving is crazy. This is just a movie. And it's just it was so bananas, that hmm. movie theater, like strangers, strangers were clawing at my clothing from both sides. Wow. Um, and I Did know, you punch them? I know this, they were both women and they laughed about it and they were like, sorry. Um, but, uh, it was probably just cause of, you know, how I look, uh, and my musculature. Obviously, um, yes.
0: listeners, you can't see just how intimidating <laughs> Jeff is. Um, um, I guarantee
1: you that, that horse was feeling it. that horse that he might, he might, he might, you know, disown the, the power of that punch, but let me tell you that horse is feeling it to this day. Um, but it was just, and I, it's funny cause I think I have rewatched that video and it's just utterly, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go back to that point in time. You cannot recreate a a theater experience. You can't take away the aping of those visuals that have been done through cinema and and music video and TV. And and
0: parodied as well. Parodied. Yeah. Yeah, It's
1: it. But anyway, that is like a very long way around the barn to say that it was sort of, I think it's like my, my art house background and aesthetic of, I am not going to see the Hollywood yeah. Americanized version of this. But I think, I think all things considered it was reasonably successful. Like I, I think there were good scares, good imagery moved pretty well. The boy the I, I was not the beefcakes biggest fan. Um, Oh, I think they could have done better. Oh, uh, Martin Henderson. Yeah. They, oh, now we start the podcast where without, without, without the <laughs> pretending not to feel the fear that I have that I better not talk bad about this town or on that. well as again. we all
0: know martin henderson runs hollywood i he mean does. you can't talk he does. about that well
1: guy. relative to me he does <laughs> fair enough yeah when you're when you're this low on the the totem pole <laughs> um but uh yeah i uh you know you get brian cox in there as the as the the creepy dude living alone in a house it's always a win yeah i i think it was a a strong entry for that time in American horror, I think I think we went from the the polished remakes of of to a large extent Asian cinema, then into torture porn, which, which was such a dark and horrible phase. Yeah. and we've come out of that since. And the movies that have been ma- being made by by Blumhouse and um, uh, Jason Wan, What's James Wan, James Wan, yeah, in particular, who started with uh, with Saw. Yeah. Which yeah. is it, which But is he came out of
0: it, which I find interesting. But,
1: but yeah, that he's the dude who's been on that second wave of stuff after that that's been amazing. I, I like, Sinister, I, I cannot, this century, I, I think it's the be- the best American horror film I've seen. It's so wow. good. But I... It was, it was not the best period for American horror, uh, certainly outdone in it's not bestness by the, the torture porn years to follow. It is
0: interesting to see, and this is a conversation for another time, I'm sure, but it is interesting to see, um, the different phases of horror. Like, I feel like more so than maybe, I mean, I guess comedy goes in very specific types of phases, but, um, but I feel like horror, you can very clearly see like, all right, 80s slasher 90s postmodern y- starting with and you can always you can almost always trace it back to a single film mm-hmm. you know in the 90s scream begat i know what you did last summer which yeah. begat got like urban legends and all this stuff and then the ring comes along and suddenly oh which we're but, look, hey we're sincere again that's well, but it's
1: interesting because the way you plot that course and i think you're right. Uh, because the ring is early on and it's sort of changing the tide, it's still connected to that urban legend part. Yeah, that's like, true. It is that that is part of the structure of the movie is it's based around this urban legend of this tape. That's true. Um, but, uh, and I think one
0: of the things that I respond to about the ring is the mystery element mm. that there's a supernatural quality, but it's also them trying to figure out, like get to the bottom of what, exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, and, that's what leads them to brian cox and that's what leads them to this you know so much of this creepy imagery with horses and, and that sort of thing and it's just a, yeah i think it's a very well made very um just a solid horror movie um it's not the scariest thing i've ever seen it's not the best made i've ever seen but uh but it certainly if you're a horror fan at this point honestly i'm sure that if you're a horror fan you've seen the ring but yeah um but yeah I, I really sure. liked it and 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 I do think that it is a, a, a work. I think if you were to watch, it follows in the ring in one night. Mm-hmm. I feel like you would get this kind of, um, have a nice theme and maybe throw in Final Destination. That's not the companion film officially, but of uh, just people, just getting trying to, to get away from something. Now I recognize that a lot of horror is that, but there's something about like, um. I think this is why the slow moving zombies are so frightening is this feeling of like, yeah, death is patient. Death can can take its time and, and death will always find a way, you know, as opposed to like, you know, uh, Jason Voorhees, I guess they, he also walks, but he walks with such purpose. Yeah. Um, and his ways of killing are so creative. Whereas, and I guess final destination, those ways are pretty creative too. But like, whereas, in zombie movies, in the ring, in it follows. It's just, they go at their own pace, um, whether it be a guaranteed seven days or whatever. Um, and then they will just come at you just with complete brutality.
1: Yeah. I think it's, um, I think one reason for that really easy to demarcate sort of differences, I mean the best reason I can think of, which I hate to be cynical, but it's just what I've seen, sort of from a career standpoint, uh, as as a writer, and and what gets what 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 I get hired for and what I don't, uh, is that when it comes to horror, the genre has just sort of been looked at the last twenty years as this cash cow, where if you can just do what Paranormal Activity did, sure. Um, and so for five to eight years, you have people trying to only do what right. paranormal activity did and that those things come in waves and that it takes a while for studios to get convinced, Oh, okay. People are super bored. Yeah. Uh, it takes eight saws. How many, how many did it take? I or don't it know. Is it still know, taking, I, I, is it still, I feel like they're, are they I don't, I don't know making, if they're still making
0: them, but I think there's always the possibility they will.
1: Yeah. Uh, it just, it just takes a lot a lot of boredom from from audiences before the studio say oh people have moved on um and so i'm, I'm really curious to see i read a review of eli roth's uh the, the green uh, inferno inferno which, which i just, had
0: the opportunity to see in a critic screening but i don't think i respond to how eli roth makes movies so i opted not to see it
1: which panned it so just like yeah. what is he like because he's trying to make imagine a movie where Eli Roth is trying to make um, political statements. Um, just it, it, it said it was just an unintentionally hilarious movie and I shouldn't judge things I haven't seen. And that's not the point of doing it. Um, the, the point of bringing it it up is to say, I'm very curious. How does Eli Roth make a movie in 2015 yeah. when the marketplace and the side geese have so rejected, what, what he does. I mean, I, I know he's it, in, in no danger of failing to to make a living as I most certainly am. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, so we got
0: Benedict Cumberbatch. We got Martin Henderson and Eli Roth. Okay. Well,
1: most of whom I can, I can find reasons to praise. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about Eli Roth's acting career. Um, I think he's just fine. Um, yeah. Can we is not, that, is that, is that praise? Yeah. Let's um, talk about his acting
0: career. He is taking uh, parts away from better actors.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just—it's fascinated me, like like the way David Wan did. James come come, dang it, James Wan. I haven't further sworn away. yet. I haven't sworn yet. I know this entire episode, very which is exciting. something. Um, the way he graduated from torture porn, I'm curious to see. And you know, Green Inferno, I know, got tied up uh, for a couple years and was actually made a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So you know, what, what is he working on now? And, and will it, will it sort of, will he graduate the other? Cause he, it's not that he's not smart. I mean, cabin fever's rad. Yeah. I think I. it's not, it's not my kind of movie, but for what it is and I'm, I'm not a gross out guy and it's got plenty of gross out, Yeah, but within genre, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's a fun, funny, and at times horrifying movie. I did not. Yeah.
0: care for it at all. Maybe I thought I'm it was just, really, I don't know.
1: Maybe I'm just trying to, I try thought it was really to, unfocused to, you know, polish a turd. Um, but I don't think so. It's been a long time, but at the time I kind of liked
0: it. There are plenty of horror people that enjoy that movie and uh, I'm, I'm in the minority. Which I can't
1: say of any of his uh, other stuff. I think I turned yeah. off all I mean, the other I mean, people
0: stuff. like Hostile, but that, but it was firmly, it was so of its time. Um, yeah, so very much like the post
1: the along with saw the poster yeah. child for the whole the whole subgenre of torture porn.
0: Um yeah, and I do feel like the I think the phase of horror that we're in right now, it's tough because there's cuz paranormal activity is still hanging on and I got to say I've never seen a paranormal activity film, but I did see a trailer for the new one. It looks pretty
1: good. I saw the first it, one. It was, was it good? good. I yeah. mean, the first was, one will almost always be pretty it good. It was way overhyped, how could it not be? Sure. Um but it was watchable. Yeah. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on the same level for those other phenomenon, cheap horror films like Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anywhere near there. It won't stand up like that one did. Sure. Um but uh it was watchable.
0: And I feel that's the thing like so there's that and then there's still like sort of these these uh sinister and insidious like these demon possession and, and haunted house movies and that's fine. But I feel like what we're getting into now is The people now making horror movies are people that were heavily influenced by. Like, they're now people in their early 30s, which means they grew up watching a very specific kind of horror movie. And so Mm -hmm. that's why in The Guest, you get a lot of synth. That's why you get in this, a lot of synth. I think you get people who are trying to not even necessarily make a complete throwback, although The Guest was definitely a throwback to, like, you know, The Hitchhiker and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, or The Hitcher, pardon me, um, and The Stepfather. Um, But I feel like you get people who are making movies heavily influenced by the movies that maybe inspired them to get into filmmaking in the first place. And so you get a certain degree of self-awareness, but all, but not the, not the nineties hip kind of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's more just a loving consciousness of horror history and that sort of thing. And trying to pay tribute to it while also do their own thing. Cause I think it follows, um, certainly is influenced by certain eighties things, certainly uh certain uh, uh, European uh, qualities, but I think it's still very much its own film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, uh, we should probably start wrapping up. Um, good idea. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So listeners, if you haven't seen the ring, obviously you have, but if you haven't, uh, go and watch <laughs> it. um, and uh, definitely it follows. Uh, seek It Out. It is on Blu ray now. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, Jeff really enjoyed it. And it's just. And it really does bring up some interesting ideas. And yes, it is primarily about sex, but I feel like so much of it can. One of the neat things about specificity in film is it somehow manages to also be universal. Mm. Like, it is about sex, yes. And you can talk about it on that level completely. But I think it's about a lot of other things. It is about. Baggage you bring to things. It is about the way you connect to people and how much you benefit from that. And is that's what is that what is motivating you when you connect to somebody, mm-hmm. whether it be sexually or emotionally or whatever? Um, it's just a. I don't know. There's there's a lot going on with that film. And while plot wise, I do think it starts to unravel a little bit towards the end because I'm not sure the filmmaker quite knew. Yeah. how he wanted it to end but i'm okay with that Mm -hmm. partially because they do leave it open for a potential sequel uh in a way that felt organic to me not a calculation um so yeah uh so this is how we are kicking off halloween times 2015 uh jeff thank you so much for being here absolutely i love it now, listeners, you can uh, email me, Tyler at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, at MoreLessons. Uh, are you available online anywhere, Jeff? I do the Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is, What is that handle? At Jeff Newberg. Fair enough. Now that's Newberg with a U.
1: I, I do the Instagram, but I'm, I'm old-fashioned. That's just for people I actually know.
0: Oh, look yeah. at you. Yeah. I do not do Instagram at all, because I now have three Twitter accounts. Oh, boy three facebook pages uh oh, and my own no so mm. i got stuff to keep you know i've got uh, three podcasts now oh yeah and listeners that reminds me um so uh my other podcast well battleship pretension you know about but my other my third podcast worth playing for that i host uh with my wife jen that is now in full swing the uh we did some pre-season stuff but the the season has now officially started so those episodes go up late wednesday night early thursday morning so be on the lookout for that and watch survivor with us it's a really great season admittedly it's all returning players so you might not have a connection with them but i do and you can hear and listen to my enthusiasm right now it's pretty great um but yeah so uh thank you everybody for listening once again uh, jeff thanks for being here thanks for having me and we'll get you next time bye